great offers and a great podcast? What a day. Thank you, sponsors. We appreciate it. This is an ICRT podcast. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, our host, Gavin Phipps. I'm joined here in Taipei today by Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing, well, this week's visit to Taiwan by US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the big old can of worms that it's opened. Now, Pelosi and her delegation arrived at Taipei's Sungshan Airport at 10.44pm on Wednesday. They were greeted there by Foreign Minister Joseph Wu and officials from the American Institute in Taiwan on their arrival. Pelosi said in a statement just after arriving here that the delegation's visit honours America's unwavering commitment to supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy. She posed for photographs before her motorcade whisked her unseen into the parking garage of a rather well-known hotel in the Shinny district. Now, Pelosi began Wednesday with it when she visited the Legislative UN and she met with lawmakers from the DPP, the KMT and the Taiwan People's Party, as well as the New Power Party. She then held talks with President Tsai when at the presidential office before a attending a government luncheon, at which she reportedly held talks with Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Chairman Mark Leo. And the US delegation wrapped up their trip with it by visiting the White Terror Memorial Park, where she met with human rights activists. Now, Pelosi got on a big old airplane at 6.01pm on Wednesday to jet off to South Korea. And people here in Taiwan, of course, have been left to deal with the repercussions, the most worrying of which is Beijing's decision to hold a series of live-fire military exercises in several maritime areas near Taiwan until this coming Sunday. Beijing is describing that move as an attempt to blockade the island. Now, there has been chatter that the blockade exercise could, however, last a little longer, with some pundits and experts saying that it could last for the whole month of August. Now, the drills have been carried out in waters north, northeast, northwest, east, south and southwest of Taiwan, in the Taiwan Strait, the Barsha Channel, the East China Sea and the Pacific. And one of the locations is reportedly less than 20 kilometres off the coast of Kaohsiung. The Ministry of Defence described the exercises as an infringement on Taiwan's sovereignty and a violation of international laws, as the designated areas either extend to Taiwan's territorial waters or are rather very close to them. But we'll begin all this with the beginning and the handling of news concerning Pelosi's visit prior to her arriving here, Ross. So what did you make of this? It was on, it was off, it was going to happen then, it was going to happen then. I've got an expert, he says this to me and I know what's happening. This began earlier in the year with the uh, aborted visit due to Speaker Pelosi's unfortunate uh, and oddly timed uh, COVID-19 diagnosis. Uh, Of course, I I give her the benefit of the doubt. I don't think it was made up, as some people speculated at the time, but it did put it, it did stop that trip. And then ever since then, actually, there was speculation whether it would be rescheduled for later in the year, keeping in mind the midterm election at the beginning of November. It makes it difficult for members of Congress to travel, especially a, a all-star, the speaker. Uh, she's so important, not, not just uh, as a campaigner for members of the House who are facing tight races, but as a fundraiser, right? She, you know, going on the road and leaving the U.S. as opposed to doing five uh, high-dollar fundraisers uh, in Manhattan or in uh, Hollywood or in her own district in San Francisco or anywhere else in the U.S. where Democrats could raise lots of money. Uh, That's a real tough decision for her team to have made, but uh, uh, she had other considerations. Uh, I think part of it has to do with her historical legacy trying to show that the Democrats could also be tough on China, so she'll come to Taiwan. But uh, if we fast forward to mid-July, we have this incredibly irresponsible leak to the Financial Times in the middle of the month uh, that the visit might be back on again. And ever since then, so for about two weeks preceding her actual uh, arrival here or the beginning of her uh, uh, the delegation trip to Asia, there was, as you said, this back and forth uh, whether uh, between her, or her uh, the State Department, the White House, President Biden uh, publicly said uh, at, at a press gaggle with the micro- microphones thrust in his face in front of Air Force One that the military uh, was not supportive of this. Uh, Taiwan, of course, 
didn't say she's coming, uh, even though they knew she was coming. But they said, oh, we welcome all our international friends. I think uh, Premier Su Jun Chang said that robotically a whole bunch of times. Uh, the the uh, Chairman Zhu of the Kuomintang followed along. Uh, and then when even when the, uh, the epidemic uh, uh, control officials were asked about uh, what arrangements would be in place, they said, oh, we don't have any information about, about a visit. I mean, they, they basically don't tell the truth because they, they knew very well that she was coming. And then, of course, there was China uh, warning about uh, a reaction, a response if she were to come. So I, I think uh, you know, to just to answer your question most simply, I, I would say that the whole process was lousy. It was very flawed. There are, there are better ways to handle it. And uh, as an American who lives in Taiwan, I, I, I welcome visits by, by members of Congress. But whoever, I, I just want to go back and focus on the leak because this happens too much in U.S.-Taiwan relations. Uh, whoever thought this was a, this was a good idea, whether in, in Pelosi's office or the State Department, the White House, or in the Taiwan government, whether that's in Washington D.C. at at, at the uh, representative office, and uh, Representative uh, Xiao, if you're listening, you, know, you might want to investigate that on your side, or here in Taipei at, at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Whoever leaked this in the middle of July, I think, is just just grossly irresponsible. Yeah, so actually, uh, I do wonder about the alternative timeline in which Pelosi didn't get COVID and this had happened in April, for example. If so, this would probably be perceived more in the frame of the recent, then recent, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And there might not have been this reaction. It would be an attempt to reassure after the invasion of strong U.S.-Taiwan ties. But that didn't happen. Pelosi got COVID. So fast forward months forward, and now this is what happened. Uh, I actually also think that things just went very differently because of a leak. Uh, particularly under the Biden administration, it's usually more been the case that when elected U.S. officials arrive in Taiwan, this is only announced after the fact. It's a very short window. This minimizes the window of opportunity for China to respond. And this is not what happened this time because of the, uh, as mentioned, the leak to the Financial Times. And so I think if not for that, there would not have been such chatter for weeks, weeks on end about this. Would it happen? Would it not happen? It became a very debated topic. Uh, after it became more clear that it would happen, there was debate about, for example, would she stay overnight? Would she not stay overnight? Would she just meet with Tsai? Would she go to the legislature or not? Uh, and then the other meetings that she would have then were debated, and the significance of that was also talked about. I mean, meeting with activists, uh, meeting with uh, TSMC officials, etc. Uh, but then I just think that particularly one of the factors that really led to the escalation to this point in which now we have China doing live fire drills is that there's so much discussion of would this lead to World War III or the apocalypse or whatever, chatter in discourse in international publications and so forth. And that will also not have taken place without the leak uh, a, but also B, because there is such discussion in such a high-pitched tenor, it became that China was obligated to respond in some form. And so now, it's if it doesn't, there is a loss of face for China. And so I think that's why we're seeing this live fire exercises. And even if that does not pan out to anything with these kind of things, there's always the risk of some incidents that could lead to uncontrolled escalation. And so that is actually quite dangerous. So yeah, I think that's the case, actually. It's quite a, it's, a lot of it's just returns that there was a leak. And Brian, like Ross said, do you think someone should investigate this leak? Oh, that's a good question. I'm sure there is an investigation, hopefully. I don't know. I, 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 I would uh, disagree with Brian because there are so many leaks, as I, as I alluded to, with regard to Taiwan-U.S. relations. And we never see anyone disciplined mm. for this. Uh, for example, last September, there was a leak in the Financial Times. Again, something fishy is going on here because there, there's a pattern of these things being leaked to the Financial Times. So either someone mm. in Taiwan or someone in Washington, D.C. thinks that we should use the Financial Times as as the platform to leak these things. But there was a, a leak last September that the United States, the Biden administration, was considering uh, agreeing to change the name of the representative office, the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office in Washington, D.C., to the Taiwan Representative Office, uh, which would have been an upgrade, and Taiwan would have been very happy with that. It's something that they appear to have sought uh, for a while, and it would probably make China really upset. And ultimately, the Biden administration didn't agree to do that. Uh, we could go back to 2011 when President Tsai, uh, then chairman of the DPP and was a presidential candidate, visited Washington, yeah. D.C., and the Obama administration leaked to the Financial Times. We don't think she's ready to be president. So, uh, I mean, it's good for those those journalists at the Financial Times that they keep getting these scoops. Uh, but but uh, to, to go back to what, what Brian just said, we, we never see, or even when there's leaks in the local media here about uh, mm, national yeah. security or foreign policy issues. I'll give you another example. Uh, on, on, on Wednesday morning, so a few hours after Pelosi had arrived in the local 
local media, there was reporting, very detailed reporting, that Secretary of Defense Austin had called Pelosi to try and you know, kind of talk her out of going. And Kirk Campbell, the, you know, the, what we call the Indo-Pacific czar at, <laughs> at the National Security Council, had called Representative Xiao to talk about this and that the Taiwan government was, had considered to withdraw the invitation or at least to kind of hint to, to Speaker Pelosi's office, well, maybe, yeah, thank you, but no thank you. And, and that the view from Speaker Pelosi was, uh, unless President Biden himself personally calls me, I'm not going to uh, uh, cancel the visit uh, to Taipei. Um, that had to have come from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here, right? This, this kind of inside information about uh, uh, Kirk Campbell calling um, Representative Xiao, because the reporting referred to TACRO's messages back to headquarters, you know, MOFA headquarters here in, in, in Taipei. So that either that was all made up, uh, right? Either the the media just made all that up, or it was leaked out of out of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. It couldn't have been leaked out of the White House or the State Department because they're not really privy to conversations between Tecro in Washington D.C. and MOFA headquarters here in Taipei. There, again, uh, there, there's almost never any repercussions for these kinds of leaks. And of course, Brian, it could be rather damaging. Even if someone's doing it because they think they're being helpful, it could backfire and go the completely opposite direction. Uh, I think so, absolutely. absolutely. And I think this is part of the reason why we have this situation now. It's spiraled out of control from leaks. Uh, so I think that's right. That does point to a much longer problem. I mean, this uh, the leak for, that was reported in the China Times uh, that Ross is alluding to, that is quite interesting because that raises questions about how this went down regarding lack of coordination between different parts of uh, the U.S. government, but also then regarding the uh, position of Taiwan as well regarding Pelosi. It's, it's a little awkward there, actually. Taiwan was a little more quiet. The time machine was a little more quiet this time around because when you do have disagreements so openly between the House Speaker and the President, you're kind of in an awkward position. And then whose will do you go with? And so why do you think Pelosi decided to come and sort of put the ball in Biden's court, Ross? Pol political reasons. Uh, she needs to help Democrats who are accused of being soft on China. So th th there are Democrats who, who are in very tight races, House, House of Representative members. Um, some of them are in districts with uh, either current or retired military uh, live in the district. Uh, I'll give you a, a very good example. There's a representative... Uh, Loria represents a district in Virginia. So she's in a very tight race. She's a, she's a veteran herself, um, and she's been very supportive of Taiwan. Uh, but uh, her chances of being reelected in, in a, what looks to be a wave year for Republicans are, are not very good. And if her opponent says Democrats are soft on China, she could say our, our speaker just went to Taiwan. So uh, I hope the listeners keep in mind uh, that uh, this is not just about supporting Taiwan. It's not just about saying nice things about Taiwan, nice things about democracy and human rights. We all love democracy and human rights. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to have this show. Uh, but uh, it, it, there's a large element of this, which was for uh, to try and help Democrats uh, a little bit with the accusation that they're soft on China, because it, it is a standard talking point for Republicans. Uh, even in a, a midterm election. Um, it's not it's not the presidential election year, uh, but Republicans do talk a lot about China, um, and, and it's a good issue for them. It's a, it's a winning issue. There's only a, a small number of people, I think, in the United States who say, "Oh, we don't want to hear about that. We don't want to hear that that China is is aggressive or doesn't uh, you know, respect international norms." So it's a great talking point for Republicans, and Democrats have struggled to to refute that uh, because the fact. Fact is, uh, I, I, some people make accusations that Democrats are bought off by by China, etc. I don't really subscribe to all of that, uh, but uh, uh, the fact is, Republicans talk a lot about China, and Democrats talk a lot about things like social spending and climate change. So it, it, they struggle to refute accusations about being soft on China, and this will help that. And then the other thing is, I think uh, Pelosi being uh, a lame duck. Uh, she just wanted to have something on her resume that she did some more international stuff. So while she controls the budget, yeah, sure, why not? Take, take a trip to, to Asia. So I think, Brian, what Ross is alluding to there is Nancy Pelosi came here for self-serving reasons and left 
all of us to clean up the mess. <laughs> well, I think that's true of any visit by any politician from any country to Taiwan. They have some self-serving interest to do that, not just Taiwan's benefit. Otherwise, they would not do this. And so I think that's right, uh, because a lot of this does seem to be about U.S. domestic politics, a way for Democrats to come across as seeming strong on China. And others have speculated this is about political legacy, that Pelosi, perhaps being on the verge of retirement, wants to have something to bolster her credentials or to frame her career as a liberal critic of China on foreign policy. And so I think that's worth noting. But then Taiwan perhaps was not in a position to to say no. And so this event happened. I think what's also interesting too is to what extent there is American signaling by American politicians using Taiwan nowadays, such as with Pompeo's visit to Taiwan. And so because the red carpet was rolled out for Pompeo, including even, for example, Taipei 101 lighting up in with a message of welcome, that raises stakes in some ways for Pelosi's visit. You have to roll out the red carpet because Pompeo is not actually a uh, representative of government, any of any part of U.S. government, but you roll out red carpet this way. So you have to do something similar magnitude for Pelosi. And so I think actually this points to the way which the Taiwanese government has, is in a somewhat awkward position now regarding visits from U.S. politicians, even if they're not actually representing the U.S. government. I think this is a quandary. Well, I, I wrote about this quandary right after the, the Biden administration took office. I, I wrote a commentary saying that Taiwan would have to handle this very carefully if they're going to start inviting uh, a former Trump administration officials, uh, then they're going to have to uh, balance that with some actions to avoid angering the current government, which is uh, the, the administration of, of uh, Biden and, and Democrats and their friends in Congress like Speaker Pelosi. Uh, good luck, Taiwan, with that one. You don't seem to have, have figured it out precisely just yet, but we wish you well. Well, Taipei 101 you can light it up for anyone. Well, though, I'll tell you what, I, and, I, and I, I, at the risk of uh, being repetitive, last week I said I, I predicted they would light up 101. Hmm. Yeah, I, I also thought and, that. And uh, the, the same circus, I'm predicting this here on August 5th on ICRT, the same circus is going to occur for Ennis Cantor, or sorry, Ennis Freedom when he visits later this year. <laughs> anyway, look, Brian, what about her itinerary after she got here? Popped off to the Legislative UN where she met party representatives. Then she popped off to the presidential office for talks of President Tsai Ing-wen. She had a nice luncheon at the Taipei Guest House and apparently met Taiwan Semiconductors Manufacturing's Mark Leo. And then she popped off to the White Terror Memorial Park where she met with human rights activists including Li Ming-je, Lam Wing-kai, Warakai Shi and the Dalai Lama's representative here in Taiwan. That's right. And so this is signaling. I mean, for example, this is very visible regarding the uh, activists that she met with, representatives of uh, Xinjiang within the form of War Kai-si, who is also a former Tiananmen Square student leader. Uh, Lam Wen-ki, representing Hong Kong, regarding that he was the last of the Causeway Bay booksellers remain free. Uh, Li Mingzhe, particularly, who is the Taiwanese human rights NGO worker that was kidnapped by China and detained for five years. And Tashi Sering, who was, uh, I believe it was Tashi Sering, who was representing Tibet. And so this, this points to these issues then, Xinjiang, Taiwan, Tibet... In Tiananmen, uh, the the T's, the the words that China doesn't like to hear, and plus Xinjiang, um, and then regarding the meeting with Mark Liu, I mean, just uh, the the chair of TSMC, a lot of the discussion, uh, the open discussion that was in her comments with Tsai, for example, touched on economic cooperation, uh, the Chips Act, framing that as a avenue for cooperation between U.S. and Taiwan. I think it was expected that she would meet with Mark Liu. I mean, Mark Liu even weighed in about the uh, Chinese military threats ahead of the visit, saying that TSMC could not be taken by force. Uh, basically a sign that, well, China, you're also reliant on Taiwanese semiconductors. Tread carefully here. And so I think that that was uh, that's politically significant. So I think a lot of this is about signaling. I mean, uh, but I think what is interesting, too, is the, the speech to the legislature, because that didn't occur with the previous visits. And, and this was uh, this play. This demonstrates to what extent this is very high profile compared to uh, other other visits. I disagree with what Brian just said, because no, nobody cares about the speech or the visit to the legislative UN. Uh, even if Legislative UN Speaker Yossi Kun uh, was available that day and not uh, quarantining because of a positive COVID test, I, I don't think the public here in Taiwan really cares. I mean, they care about the visit to the pre to see President Tsai. That that was really the big the big thing. I mean, that that was the only thing that mattered on on this visit. The, the lights on 101 don't matter. Going to the Legislative UN doesn't matter. Uh, meeting the the industry leaders is secondary because Pelosi can't do anything. She has no role. After the, the CHIPS Act, 
the subsidy bill just passed and it's going to be signed into law by President Biden. She has no role in that. There, there, there's no fab that's going to be built in her district in San Francisco downtown. Okay, it's an urban district. Uh, and I disagree with what Brian said, with one exception, about the other people that she met. Um, they don't represent anyone with the exception of the, the of, of Tibet's de facto ambassador. Now, with all due respect to, to Mr. Lam or, or Wu Kaisi or Li Ming they don't represent anyone. I mean, Wu Kaisi is a Uyghur and uh, he, he was a student leader at Tiananmen, but he's, he's not a global leader in, in, in uh, current movements uh, trying to bring about change in China. I mean, people in China are not looking to him as, as a leader. And um, same with Mr. Lamb. He, he now operates a, a, a bookstore. He's a very nice guy. It's terrible what happened to him. Uh, but he's, he's running a bookstore here in Taipei. And, and it, you know, it's, it, it's kind of sad. Like, oh, we'll just trot out Mr. Mr. Lamb when some distinguished VIP comes. And, and OK, well, what are you saying? Like, OK, we're Taiwan. We gave Mr. Lamb. Uh, a place to go. Well, okay, that's nice. He, he could have also gone to Australia, Canada, United States, Germany, and probably a whole bunch of other places. Uh, so that, that, that again, you know, to, to, to use the words uh, uh, that Gavin said a few minutes ago, self-serving, right? That, that you're, not, you're not achieving anything for Hong Kong or China by meeting Wuar Kaisi or, 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 or Mr. Lam. Um, they don't, and again, they, they don't represent anyone. Only, only, the, the, only the Dalai Lama's de facto ambassador is someone who actually represents uh, anyone. Um, but again, if, if uh, Speaker Pelosi wanted to do something for Tibet, she should have gone to the Tibet government in exile in India instead of coming to Taipei. And Brian, what about, obviously, we don't know what they talked about in private. But what about the, the public, the open, the live televised bit of Pelosi's talks with President Tsai? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I actually don't disagree with that. The the meeting with uh, President Tsai is the most important part of that. But I think the uh, meeting with the legislature does escalate the significance of this compared to previous meetings. I think a lot of the, the visits then actually then are with other people are, are somewhat boilerplate. For example, Pelosi's touched on... Uh, Three pillars, she called it, uh, mutual economic interest, uh, security, sorry, mutual economic cooperation, mutual security interests, and shared values of, in her words, self-government and self-determination. Um, and so this is what the other visits then represent, I think, PSMC regarding economic cooperation, shared values then with regards to meeting with these activists and that sort of thing. So I'm actually intrigued then that there was not a, for example, high-profile or at least just signaling meeting with some defense official. That would have perceived that might have maybe pushed uh, China somewhat on this, but at least that didn't occur publicly. But yeah, but that's an area, again, it's kind of like what I said a few minutes ago about uh, the tech industry, mm. where Pelosi, being the outgoing speaker, the, it's the, most, the most major yeah. piece of legislation has already moved through Congress. So it, you know, it's not like she had to tell these tech industry officials, help persuade Congress to pass mm. this. Yeah. And please it's all, it's all signaling. So I it's mean, done. It's yeah. a done deal. There's nothing she could do on defense, right? The, the defense budget uh, it goes through Congress through through a very complex process, but she's not known for for being the person who who uh, is the main negotiator or is going to hold up next year's defense authorization bill. Uh, I wouldn't call her irrelevant because she she's involved with setting the the actual agenda and when things are are voted on. Uh, uh, th there was some expert uh, who was quoted. Uh, say, I remember Monday or last weekend. Uh, well, she'll get to see firsthand the you know the the, the situation. What did she see? Songshan Air Force Base at night, and then uh, you know, with the sun beating down at five p.m. when she went back to the airport, she didn't inspect the the. I mean, she didn't, the, she didn't inspect exactly the troops. The regular field right? she, didn't, she didn't. She didn't. She didn't check out how the mechanics are repairing the 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 Air Force uh, aircraft at Songshan Airport. She didn't go to any other military related things. So even even if she had met defense officials, it would have, uh, with all due respect to Speaker Pelosi, that would have just gone one in in, in one year and out the uh, out the other year. You know, it's not her area of interest or expertise. Not that she's against defense or against weapon sales to Taiwan, but she, she has no role in this, especially, as I said, in her final few months. Yeah, I mean, just uh, this is about signaling. If she actually wants to communicate with these people or whatever, it doesn't actually need to occur through visiting Taiwan in this high-profile way that perhaps draws global scrutiny. And to be particularly honest with discussion of anything of this uh, sensitivity regarding economics, defense, whatever, it wouldn't occur in public anyway. And so there's, that's, that's what this is about. So, Ross, I mean, do you think maybe a video, a virtual meeting with Psy would have been okay? Well, it's, this, that's a great question. It goes back to the beginning of, of this conversation. 
right? The 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 leaks and the the back and forth between the different stakeholders: the U.S. State Department, Defense Department, the White House, the National Security Council, and the Taiwan government and Speaker Pelosi's office. Uh, she, uh, Speaker Pelosi and President Tsai have had teleconferences before when President Tsai uh, transited the U.S. Earlier this year, Vice President Lai had a video conference with Speaker Pelosi. So I, I would I would respond to what you just suggested by saying no, because it's been done before. Could she have done it on her airplane, transiting between countries on her tour? I, I would say no, because I, I find that um, disrespectful and a bit denigrating both both to Speaker Pelosi and to President Tsai. So, for example, uh, there, there was speculation that, well, maybe the delegation would follow the example of the three senators who visited in June 2021, where they stayed at the airport and, and President Tsai came to the airport to meet them. And I was very much against that because I, I think that that is, is not good for the dignity of, of either President Tsai or, or Speaker Pelosi and, and her congressional colleagues. Fortunately, they did not do that. They, they came into the city. They stayed overnight in a hotel, which I noted you didn't want to name for some reason, Gavin. Um, it's like those TV show, the TV news here in Taiwan when like a, a, a fast food restaurant blows up and they don't want to name it, right? We might be seen as advertising for that. Come on, Gavin. Um, uh, so it's good that they stayed They stayed overnight. It's good that they went to, to the presidential office. Uh, we, we could debate, and I think a lot of people will continue to debate, the, the nature of, of, of the ceremony and what was said and whether or not that was all necessary, whether it was self-serving for Speaker Pelosi or for President Tsai or the Taiwan government. Uh, there's probably going to be no right answers. People are going to have different opinions uh, on, on that kind of stuff. Uh, but no, I, I don't think what you're suggesting would have been necessary. It's either been done before or it's not dignified. So uh, I'm glad they didn't do those things. Um, yeah, I think that was interesting is after the leak to the Financial Times, that might have been one way to deflect, though, for example, having a teleconference uh, between Tsai and Pelosi. There are ways in which after that leak, there could have been a deflection, not actually going the full way of having this visit, but then still signaling U.S.-Taiwan relations. Yet the decision was made to proceed on Pelosi's side. And so I think that is quite interesting. But I think a lot of this is about the questions of dignity and uh, appropriate decorum. And I think when it always comes to diplomacy, a lot of it just is about that, actually, and what message that shows or can be interpreted as showing. And there's debates about what is the optimal way of doing this. And in this case, there's the obvious uh, complication that you don't want to tick off China to the extent that you have action that is uh, beyond the point of uh, restraint. And now I'm going to talk to Professor Albert Cho from the Donghai University about Nancy Pelosi's trip and how China, well, what action it could take against America to show its anger over the visit. So, Albert, do you believe that Beijing could recall its ambassador to the United States? And could the Biden administration take similar action and recall its ambassador in Beijing due to Pelosi's visit to Taiwan? Okay, now we see uh, there is an escalation of the tension between the United States and uh, uh, China. But first of all, I think the two countries, United States and China, has to deal with the military drills in the Taiwan Straits. So I think in, in these coming three days, uh, both the United States in, and China has to uh, keep close, really close eye on the practice or the operation of the, the drill and avoid uh, a further uh, outbreak of any kind of uh, conflict. Uh, because after all, Taiwan is involved in it, and uh, Taiwan really uh, is not the one who uh, started everything, including uh, Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Uh, after all, Pelosi was a guest, and we are the host, so we, we had to uh, host her, and that's our responsibility. And Taiwan is an independent sovereignty, so that's our uh, that's our uh, duty to to host her. Okay. So as as for your question, uh, in the long run, because in the, in the coming uh, month uh, in November, uh, there will be a G20 summit uh, meeting, right? And where Xi Jinping and uh, President Joe Biden has a chance to meet up with each other. And in fact, that they they call each other uh, for five times. And the the latest one was just happening before uh, Pelosi's visit. So I don't I don't think that uh, for Xi Jinping it is smart to recall 
the ambassador to United States and vice versa, because that's really the last resort they have to get contact with each other. So um, I would say the military trio is only as a show uh, for Xi Jinping to uh, kind of leash uh, or the and kind of leak the pressure, leak the pr- internal pressure of his own party. But other than that, I don't really see any utility that Xi Jinping has. If, if Xi Jinping wants to escalate the whole thing from a, a military drill in Taiwan Strait to a uh, further tension between the United States and China, but still we we have to you know keep our eye on that closely. How much animosity now, Albert, is there between Beijing and Washington? I think the animosity now is about, say, if 1 to 10, I would say it's 7. Okay, so basically Beijing does not have any capability uh, either in trade or in military uh, capability to uh, retaliate against the United States because that's how it is. Uh, I mean, in my perspective in my analysis of the US China relations uh, you know I I would say that um, uh, the United States is a superpower but China uh, at the best is, is a regional power okay so I mean there's a distance in in, uh, in power in, in either kind of uh, capability of the two countries but China can retaliate against the United States by Revenge in Taiwan. That's what he can do. And for for a very long period of time, China has been thinking that this is very useful. Okay, very useful in the sense that the United States will listen to China's uh, intention when Taiwan feels hurt. But in fact, the marginality has been diminished. Uh, Taiwanese people, uh, we are not um, so freaking out just because you. Uh, they seem threatening and even started a military drills. We don't really, uh, you know, receive that kind of threat anymore. I mean, Taiwan. So, you, because the United States know that we are such a democracy with resilience, just like what Nancy Pelosi said when she was here. And and so, I I don't think that this kind of uh, threat from China uh, is is working anymore. And do you think there'll be any retaliation against American companies operating in China? Oh, I think that United States company in China has been uh, under a great amount of pressure already. It's not only happening now, but even in the past. For example, uh, when any foreign company wants to have its business in China, uh, it has to accept the rule that uh, the CCP assign its member is super, uh, supervision in, in the company, right? So that's really put the foreign companies in a very difficult situation that, one, uh, it does not really follow the market rule. Uh, it's not like demand and supply, that type of thing, but it's a really about what a party, the CCP, uh, wants uh, when in any kind of situation, okay? So that's not only happening now. And now, after uh, Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, and even after uh, a series of military drills for three days uh, in Taiwan Strait, I will see that um, the second step, like what is suggested, would be uh, targeting the companies in uh, China, especially American companies. And uh, that, to me, at this stage of the development, I don't see any kind of uh, trade retaliation or uh, bad treatments against foreign companies in China is strong enough to represent China's resentment. I mean, when I say that, that means that um, the Chinese government will use this as a uh, side dish rather than a major dish because that's something, right? But that's something that's still not enough. So China definitely will do this. But I don't, I, I don't see that's a, that's a strong enough uh, measure that Chinese, co- Chinese government can use to, to lick its internal pressure. Uh, most likely, they will still uh, fall back on to the uh, military drill to speak up and speak out about their anger about Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. And that was me in conversation with Professor Albert Cho from the Donghai University. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And we've just spent the first half of the show talking about the pre-arrival, the arrival and Nancy Pelosi's itinerary. Now we're going to talk about the fallout. And of course, Ross, China announced the suspension of the import of several goods, being like citrus fruit, being a rather large one. And of course, biscuits and nibbles made by some of Taiwan's largest food companies like Imei Foods, Weichuan and Guai Guai. Was that a pun? You used the word fallout. Are, are you are you signaling some kind of imminent use of... If I had a crystal ball, Ross, <laughs> I would buy a lottery ticket with it and not bother wasting it on this show, so no. <laughs> OK, well, I'm glad. I'm glad you don't think we're going to have any literal fallout here in Taiwan anytime soon, and hopefully never. Uh, th- this is another one of the, the aspects of the visit, sort of like we were just talking in the earlier segment about the arrangements uh, for the entire itinerary. Um how much financial hit will Taiwan take? So China says, we're banning these things and uh, you know we're punishing you. And then there'll be a bunch of people here in Taiwan who say, oh, what a terrible thing that, that President Tsai did this because now our industries are suffering. And then guarantee though, there's going to be somebody on TV or you know, some other commentator can say, oh, but the value, the dollar value of, of these exports is, is rather limited, um, which might very well be true. I mean, if you say like as a percentage of Taiwan's GDP, what was the value? What's the dollar value of, of the first the first group of products that, that China has has banned? Uh, OK, fine. As a percentage of Taiwan's GDP, it's it's really, really tiny. Uh, but uh, the people in that supply chain are going to be hurt, whether it's farmers or if it's other types of products, the people who who grow or make these products, who who transport them and export them to China, uh, they're, they're going to feel some pain. And then the government will rush to subsidize these things. So uh, the taxpayers will feel some pain because we're now going to subsidize some industry uh, that was relying on China as if uh, the the taxpayer, the government owes them you know, some guarantee that they would make money from China, which I find kind of strange. Uh, but that's what's going to happen. So we'll, we'll just continue this, this circle of, of finger pointing and, and wasting money. Uh, but the, the risk there is that uh, this is not the only wave of, of product bans, that there'll be additional products that, that get banned. And, and then the economic cost might very well become greater than a, 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 a tiny, tiny percentage of the GDP. Of course, Brian, Beijing is describing those these as temporary suspensions of imports. But do you think it will be temporary and go back to what it was? Or do you think it will last a bit longer this time? It's our question. I think it's good looking uh, carefully at some of the import uh, the bans because sometimes they are temporary or directed against specific companies if, if they are targeting a category of good, for example. Uh, but I think this time it's visible in the sense of China pursuing visible targets. Uh, for example, guai guai is you know quite known in Taiwan as a snack. Use it to make your machines go. That's a superstition. Uh, because if you put it next to the machine, then the machine will operate smoothly. Um, pineapples are a grouper, which were targeted in the past. Those are also high-value products, um, and so I think that that is a, an attempt to send a signal. And particularly in the past, this is an attempt to pressure groups, I think, in Taiwan, such as farmers or uh, agri- aquaculture, uh, because these are groups that historically lean pan blue, for example. So that might be a lever to pressure them into voting for the KMT or what have you. Uh, but I think this time around, I mean, there's an attempt to send a, a signal of that this could apply to other groups. I mean, China is probably more reluctant to target, target uh, products that its own supply chains utilize. I mean, semiconductors, I don't think it's going to target anytime soon. But targeting these substitutable goods, such as food or perhaps in the future clothing or anything that perhaps China uses, which can be replaced with other products, that's something that, that uh, China might do. I think it's, it might accelerate the trend for decoupling, though, to some extent from the Chinese market with a view as politically risky. Particularly for farmers, there's already that view in some sectors that the Chinese market was politically risky because you might get shut down out at some point. And so those trends might actually be accelerated by this, but it's to be seen about other companies, I think. Part of the problem, as I said, is uh, society owes no no guarantee to whether it's farmers or uh, other manufacturers. There's no, no guarantees owed to them that they would make money uh, from China. Uh, for some products, Taiwan has been woeful in opening new markets, uh, most notably in, in the ag sector. We saw that with uh, what happened with pineapples starting last year. The response seemed to be 
a whole bunch of politicians here said, freedom pineapples, and they tweeted about freedom pineapples. <laughs> and a whole bunch of diplomats, and you know who you are because you're, you're listening to this show, you, you bought pineapples probably with your office money, not, not out of your own pockets, right? and, and you put the pineapples on your desks at your representative office here in Taipei, where you ordered pizzas, you, know, you ordered some pizzas, and I don't know, Gavin, maybe I, you know, I'll follow you, I won't name the, the fast food pizza places. They bought some pineapple pizza, which you know, is famous in this part of the world, uh, and, and uh, put it on social media that they were eating pizzas with pineapple slices, um, and, and okay, that, that's great, thank you. Uh, but, but, the, but, but the key point here is when you look at the data, uh, Taiwan ha has been pretty pathetic in expanding markets for certain ag products, including pineapple. Uh, they said that we're going to do it for Japan. We're going to expand the Japan market. We're going to expand the Singapore market. And then the Taiwan supply chain uh, really lacked experience with uh, packaging refrigeration for the longer travel times. The government gave them a lot of subsidies. Uh, but, but actually, uh, the audience could go back and search. Taiwan's agriculture officials have been talking about expanding markets, including Japan, for Taiwan's pineapples for, for many, many years. And they just don't seem to have the skill set to be able to achieve this. So for some ag products specifically, as opposed to other uh, traditional, you know, traditional industry products, Taiwan's been selling all over the world for, for basically ever, ever since Taiwan began to industrialize in, in the 60s and 70s. And the same would apply to tech products as well. Uh, so if China were to ban some manufactured products, I don't think Taiwan has difficulty or doesn't know how to sell them to other places around the world. They're always going to be competing against other uh, manufacturing sources and uh, with, with trade agreements like RCEP and CPTPP. It's it's unfortunate, but people did point this out that that there are risks of ta of Taiwan not being in these regional trade agreements, and, and we're going to see that now. If if Taiwan companies lose the China market for some of those manufactured goods, they're they're going to be at a disadvantage uh, with, with the advent of, of RCEP and CPTPP. But when it comes to ag products. Uh, it's difficult for Taiwan to compete. As I said, we don't have the, we seem to lack the supply chain capabilities and our ag officials here in Taiwan just don't seem very good at opening new markets. Of course, Brian, after China had temporarily suspended import of these goods, it said, hey, we're sending a bunch of warships down to your neck of the woods. I'm going to hold some drills next to your coastline. Yeah, so the as in the past, economic threats and military threats go hand in hand, or you have you threaten to shut out access to the Chinese market, or you do that, and then there's also the military threat. And so now we have these live fire drills that are going until Sunday. And this was time for after Pelosi leaves. Uh, what has received the most attention is China firing missiles, including missiles that ended up in Japan's exclusive economic zone. Uh, missiles passed over Taipei, reportedly. Uh, there might have been four missiles that passed over Taiwan. And so there, there were some experts that predicted this beforehand uh, regarding the possibility that there would be missiles passing over Taiwan. Uh, but I think now, now there'll be discussion of what happens next. Uh, drilling is going to continue. Um, and uh, there's these pictures of, of tourists actually going to Little Ryukyu to watch this, but also the tourism is down in those areas. Uh, the government, the Ministry of Natural Defense, phrases this as a blockade. China sometimes also phrases it as a blockade. Uh, I guess uh, this kind of scenario will be discussed increasingly going forward, though. That's great. We could have competing tourist photos because there was the photo from, uh, uh, I believe it was Pingtan in, in Fujian. That's right. With the, uh, the, the tourists. tourists the, looking yeah, up yeah, at, yeah. at, at, at military. <laughs> Cross-state tourism, helicopter. yeah. So, so we'll do this on, 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 on some of Taiwan's offshore islands as well and, and try and compete that way. And Ross, what about these drills? I mean, some people have said, like Brian said, some people are calling it a blockade. Some people are calling it an attempt at a blockade. And other people are saying, well, maybe it is going to be a blockade and it won't be an exercise and the blockade could last for August. It's accurate to say a blockade to the extent that shipping can't move or aircraft, the civilian aircraft can't move or they need to reroute. There's been a number of flights that have been canceled. So... Uh, It'd be foolish to deny that there's a blockade, uh, however uh, minimal it might be at the moment. And, uh, of course, shipping and, and the airlines, they have experience with this kind of thing, not just because of what's going on today in Taiwan or in Ukraine over the past six months, but they deal with this. They, they know how to fly around war zones if, if necessary. Uh, they know how to avoid pirates at sea, for example, or to the extent that they can. Uh, so they have experience with this, uh, but sometimes it's unavoidable that they, they, 
the, the ships can't leave port and the aircraft can't fly. So again, it would be foolish to call it uh, or deny that there's a blockade. And uh, w- whether it will be sustained or something that China does once every month or every three months, uh, we, we just don't know. We can only speculate. Uh, but there, there's a, a cost to this. So there's a cost to, to the shipping companies or the airlines if uh, ships or planes can't sail or fly. And obviously, and this has been the case since 2016 when, when President Tsai took office and uh, changed China policy from the 92 consensus, that, that, that to the extent China's mad at Taiwan and doing more military exercises, more recently all the flights into aircraft movements in Taiwan's air defense identification zone, then Taiwan has to respond. It has to put its own ships in air, uh, ships to sea, aircraft in the air, more military exercise domestically, more defense spending. The, the voters endorse that, and we should always keep that in mind. So uh, I'm not criticizing. It, it's That's a fact. Different policy. China reacted. There's a cost to Taiwan. That's what the voters here wanted, and we should respect that. And talking of voters, Brian, do you think the voters will remember this come November? Will it boost the DPP's standing with voters, or will voters go... Yeah, I wasn't too impressed with that Pelosi visit. So I think this is, is uh, will be interesting. It's an interesting wrinkle now in elections that this took place. And so I think the KMT or other pan blue parties will use this as a talking point to be sure. Uh, and the DPP will still defend the visit as as a diplomatic success. But then what then about these these threats from from China? And I think the KMT will use this to lean into the, the claim that it's the only party able to maintain stable cross-strait relations, as historically has been the case. And this also might lead to splits, though, within the Pan Lu camp between Eric Chu's attempt to repivot towards the U.S., but then the dissatisfaction of particularly the Deep Blues with that, as well as with the Pelosi visit, as it's seen in protest by the new party. Uh, so I think that particularly China here is trying to come off as tough and reacting to the Pelosi visit in what it sees as an appropriate manner. Uh, but it is also true that this might benefit the DPP in that sense because it will be a blowback. I mean, sometimes when when Xi's threats directed at Taiwan uh, provoke the Chinese public, that actually leads to an uptick of support for Tsai, as in his 2019 speech vowing, saying the, that force was still on the table for unifying Taiwan or events in Hong Kong, for example, in 2019. I, I'm going to call up my bookie and collect on a bet because I made a bet that Brian couldn't go through the show without saying Deep Blue at least once. So... Uh, the the the, the Dong is is not in a good place right now. Right, their their polling is is pretty low as nationally as a party. Uh, so it's hard to see you know, any help for the Dong from this, despite their their attempts to say you know, we love the U.S. <laughs> uh, so if if I think if someone is going to politically benefit from this, it, 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 by default it's, it's it's the DPP, and they've been very good at this. Uh, in the 2020 election by saying we're great at managing U.S. relations. And I think the voters agreed. And that's why President Tsai was reelected by such an overwhelming amount. Uh, they were very good at this in December of 2021 with the referendums, some of which uh, really were about you know, U.S. relations, most notably uh, the pork referendum. Uh, but, but it was kind of the same message that uh, this is how we think the public should vote, and it'll have this effect on U.S.-Taiwan relations, specifically in the trade space. And again, the voters agreed. So if there's if there's anyone who can make the case about uh, the, the importance of the visit, the success of the visit, we didn't do anything wrong, we handled this correctly, then then you have to assume it's it's the government because they've proven very, very adept at doing that. But Brian, I mean, you see, this now means the Taiwan People's Party and the New Power Party have to sit down with a big lot of paper and a big lot of pens going, we now have to form a policy to deal with this. They now have to have their own international policies rather than just mainly focusing on domestic issues. That's a question. I mean, the new power party, I think, came off a little better in terms of uh, being present, for example, when Pelosi was there. I think their head of the international uh, affairs, Jerry Liu, was present at the outside of the hotel where Pelosi stayed, if I recall seeing pictures of that on social media. Uh, as for the uh, Taiwan People's Party, Koenja is now leaning into the claim that, well, Tsai is criticized for saying, or sorry, Tsai recently said that uh, there's no need to hold these threats against Taiwan. I was open, open to dialogue, but then I was criticized for having dialogue with China, referring to his cross-strait exchanges between uh, Taipei and Shanghai conducted on a city base 
uh, city-based exchanges. And so there's that. And so I think the, the TPP is a little bit uh, split in messaging, perhaps. I think that, that will be interesting to see going forward for them. Uh, I'm not sure what standing outside the hotel achieved for uh, young Mr. Leo, who's a candidate for a city councilor in, in Taipei. Uh, the, 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 the right thing would have been um, you know, just be part of the group of legislators who, who who engaged with Speaker Pelosi, and I think that would have been sufficient. I think that was the government's way of of saying we 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 made some effort for this not to be partisan. That's a, that, that's yeah, a, a main reason why there was the event of the legislative. You had so you don't have to take Speaker Pelosi to meet uh, the chair chairs of the other parties. You could say no, we had the event at the legislative. You had it was open, it was open to everyone. Uh, but uh, for now. Uh, I don't think there's anything. Just like like I said a few minutes ago about the Golmin, I, I, I don't know what the, the Taiwan People's Party or the New Power Party could say that that would you know, spin this to their advantage, unless they think attacking it will bring them some some benefit. But I I don't see how that helps them with a local election where they're trying to uh, really for the first time get a whole bunch of people. In the case of the Taiwan People's Party, they, they want to elect a bunch of city councilors. Uh, they probably are not going to elect a. a uh, county executive or even a mayor, maybe here in Taipei City, it's it's still a, a bit of a long shot for their candidate. Uh, so spending a lot of time on this might not be to their advantage. And again, I, I don't know what what their their message would be. So Brian, wrapping up very quickly in about a minute, was the as we sit here today, do you believe the Pelosi trip was worth it? Uh, I, I actually have no stance. I feel like just have, I, I usually don't have a stance on these things. It just happens and and so forth. But it does have. A lot of repercussions, let's say, and a lot of consequences that's happened. And it was not just a simple act of House Speaker comes to Taiwan, leaves, and and that's all. And so I think we'll see the repercussions coming in the coming months, really. I mean, there could be more economic measures, uh, just there could be more responses from China in terms of the military exercises and that sort of thing, because perhaps this will become more regularized. And I think that's that's to be seen then. And Ross, was it worth it as we sit here? For Speaker Pelosi, I'll, I'll, I'll take a different track than Brian, because Brian talked more about from Taiwan perspective, so I'll talk about from the U.S. perspective. For Speaker Pelosi, uh, I, I would say take everything Brian just said, but with the opposite, uh, reaching the opposite conclusion that you know, she came, it's done, it's over, that's it. You know, she's she's going to be out of, out of the Speaker <laughs> job. So she's not the one who has to deal with, with any repercussions, whether uh, we have to provide some subsidies to industries that, that whose products are banned, uh, the cost of uh, responding militarily. At most, in the next few months, she could uh, speed up uh, some of the, this pending legislation to provide Taiwan uh, financing to buy more weapons. I, I mean, that, that's that, the, the most she could do would be something like that. Even that is unlikely because of the limited time that that, that they have for to, to conduct legislative business before before the midterm election. So I would say for Speaker Pelosi, it, it's it, it is she came, she left, and uh, got some positive press. Try to help the Democrats in in the House elections, and and that's it for her. The rest is for Taiwan to deal with. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined here in Taipei today by Brian Hugh. Good night. And Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.